0: Welcome back to Just Science with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football grump. With me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan, and we are happy to report some good news from Friday night's preseason game.
1: Well, the good news is, A, no one got really hurt, and B, we saw one drive of an offense that... Might actually be something that was.
0: It looked like an NFL offense.
1: Looked like an NFL offense. It looked like sort of a, a modern day offense. You know, we're not, we don't go crazy when in one drive an offense goes three and out. We also don't go crazy after one drive that they, go seventy yards and look very efficient. But it was definitely something that at least for another week makes us feel, good about ourselves.
0: Um. So we're gonna. Th- this is gonna be probably one of the less structured episodes here. We we recorded very late last week we're right on top of this week so there's not too much that's new other than the game so i I think we're just going to kind of freeform a lot of this um but before we get into all the things that were really great about um this game i guess i would just say so it should be noted that like carolina's best edge rushers did not play in this game Like, Brian Burns was not here in this game. Probably one of their best players. Um, That said, uh, what I can take away from a really good drive from the starters against starters that ended in a touchdown, DJ going 8 of 9 with a drop being the only incomplete pass, um, is that that's what it should have been, right? I'm not saying that, like, anything less than that would have made me unhappy, but, like, this is an up-and-coming team in Carolina with a rookie quarterback. And they are not really considered, I don't think, by anyone to be competitive in the NFC South. So I wouldn't want to see that drive stall. I'm not going to, like you said, throw rose petals in the air and, you know, I i don't know. I sound the alarms because they scored a touchdown on their opening drive and they looked good. But i am I'm not concerned. I don't feel super concerned after watching the starters. That's really, uh, like, the main thing. Like, like if they had struggled, if that didn't end in a touchdown, I'm also not going to pitch a fit. But, like, I would be sitting here like, they probably should be scoring touchdowns on a team like this.
1: I, you know, I w- would like to see the starters play a little longer just to get a little more of a sense of, you know, oh, this is really exciting or really something or not. But to me, it was just like, you know, it was running through a drill. Mm-hmm. And they... You know, we saw things, first of all, seeing uh, seeing Waller running around in space like that is something that gets you really, really excited.
0: Oh, yeah. They went to the well early and often with him, too.
1: Right. And remember something. This was not a normal Giants offense, normal personnel look, because Saquon Barkley didn't play. And not only did Saquon Barkley not play, we did not have one running back run on that entire drive. So what you're really seeing is, you know, almost force feeding Waller on on most plays on that drive. So it's, this is not what the giant offense is going to look like. We're going to rely very heavily on Saquon Barkley and feed off of that. Um, But having a guy that's a physical mismatch that can do so much over the middle and it's going to make the running game better. It's going to make, you know, that deep outside threat. I think we, we both agree we're going to open up this offense more this year than last year. Uh, The offensive line should be better. You know, uh, is is it more of a a deep threat than we've had before? Uh, A better canopy offense, all of these different things. And when you have a running back and a tight end who can do the things that they do and scare the shit out of a, a defensive coordinator and you don't know what to prepare for, it's going to open up this offense by default. So, that's what made me most excited. The fact we scored a touchdown is great, but the 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 possibilities of what just one guy like that can do, not without not the complete offense around him, that's what got me excited.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the touchdown is really the icing on the cake. Like it's not about the points, it's about the fact that that first drive was pr- pretty close to flawless. Um not a whole lot of negative plays. I think Daniel Jones only ran one time for six yeah. yards. Um, Which it's, is a
1: positive. I mean, let's, let's yeah. be honest. We don't want him running around that much. We want him to run when he has to. and then Or when it's called. When yeah, exactly.
0: exactly. Um, I, yeah, so, like, the touchdown, to me, really was more... Uh, the fact that it was just the perfect ending to a perfect drive, a uh, couple of little flubs on that drive. I think there was an end around to Jalen Hyatt that was garbage and I think lost yardage and end arounds are one of those things that either work or they look terrible. They never look in between it's ne- and when it's a zero yard game, it looks terrible. So I don't like end arounds as a general rule. I don't think that Jalen Hyatt is a kind of guy that I want running sideline to sideline a whole lot. Nevertheless, it's one of those things that just looks bad when it doesn't work, regardless.
1: It's it's one of those things, too, that it's on tape, and maybe it's not Hyatt. Maybe someday Wando Robinson's running it, or something where they have to spend five minutes of practice time knowing that's in our tool chest. Sure,
0: and then just throw Jalen Hyatt in motion all the time and make them get all worried about it. Exactly, exactly. So, you
1: know, it, it may have looked ugly, but now they know that that's something that we might, you know... You might be doing in the future may or may not see it so
0: uh the only thing that i think daniel jones could have done better there was like one throw to paris campbell in the flat that was just kind of like it just looked awkward and i don't know whose fault it was you know i don't know exactly where paris campbell's supposed to stand but it was like behind him he kind of had to like spin inside to make the catch and all of his momentum was lost and everyone kind of gathered i think if that were a better throw there's a chance it was a touchdown but that was the only real dark spot i would say in the drive um, and it's like the most minor dark spot I can I can think of.
1: Um, did we was that play the Evan Neal Glouinski missing the um, stunt? Was that in that first drive or is that the second drive?
0: Uh, that was the first drive, but I don't think that that stunt resulted in anything. Um,
1: it didn't result in anything, but one of those. It's like, ugh, cause you know we are we are definitely watching the guards and Evan Neal, you know, in this preseason to see for sure. You know, Who's ultimately going to be starting at those two guard, you know, positions? And we obviously want Evan Neal to progress, so people can sleep at night knowing he's our, you know, our right tackle. So that, you know, it looked bad, and it's one of those, oh boy, what's going on things. So that was yeah, that bothered and, me more than the, you know, that one particular throw.
0: Yeah, and I know it's usually bad if you text me in the middle of a drive, um, <laughs> but yeah. The interior of that offensive line is going to be something that is a point of emphasis, I would say, when it comes to roster cutdowns. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see who wins the depth chart, how that shakes out. What they're aiming for seems to be um, Josh Azudu taking the left guard spot, Ben Bredesen taking the right guard spot, using Mark Lewinsky as a backup, having John Michael Schmitz in the middle. But, you know, whether it's... Josh Zudu not really claiming that left guard spot, or, you know, Ben Bredesen not claiming the right guard spot. I don't know what it is, but they are hesitant to, like, we had a whole, like, what was it, like, three weeks of training camp of the center rotation. They had right. one game, and John Michael Schmitz is just a center now. Like, they and were convinced. It. That has not, and I don't expect that to have been the case with the left and right guard spots after two games. I think we're going to continue to see that rotation because no one's won the job.
1: Right, right. Um,
0: that being said, Neal looked pretty good in this game, but again, not playing Brian Burns. You know, what does that mean? Well, it's certainly good that he didn't look bad. He's looking uh, good
1: in reps right now. Like, right. That, that's, yeah. a, that's a difference between you know, you're going to be facing a lot of talent in our division and in our conference, and you know, the competition is going to get better um sticking with the offensive line um Matt Pert
0: Matt Pert not very good huh
1: at what point do we give up on this you know experiment I guess because you know he was drafted it was a, a project when we drafted him this is what his third year now
0: third no fourth he was drafted the same year as Andrew Thomas
1: Okay, fourth year, even worse. Yeah, and you know, he's not a he's not tackle one A. If somebody gets hurt and go in there, he he play right away. He's just kind of not good.
0: He's a, he's a tackle. That's about it.
1: Yeah, he's he's a tackle. He's a body. I mean, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna have our roster predictions next week, and uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Tyree Phillips is probably the guy. Um, For right now, it's also the kind of thing where if a good tackle shakes loose on cutdown day, I wouldn't rule that out either. Um, When do we give up on that Pert? is probably at the end of this year, I would say. Uh, You know, they had a lot of roster holes to fill when they showed up. They did the best they could in that first year. This offseason, they made some moves to make as much cap space as they could to add pieces. They traded player for player, picks for player. You know, they acquired as much talent as they could with the restrictions they had. They had a lot of retaining they had to worry about. The big year of cap spaces next year. They have tons of cap room, and only really like Xavier McKinney, Leonard Williams, and Adoree Jackson to worry about. And I don't know. Uh, I, I given the D line that they have, Leonard Williams leaving wouldn't be the worst thing on the planet Earth. Uh, though I, I think we would both like him to be here. It's certainly you know, not something that's going to be like, oh, no, what are we going to do? We have no D-linemen. And I would say the same thing with Adoree Jackson, with the emergence of Trey Hawkins the sure. fa- and, and Cordell Flott continuing to grow and the fact that they have a whole it- offseason to uh, acquire replacements for these guys. I think that that's when you're going to start seeing them worrying about acquiring talent for depth. Yes. So, I- like, they've been here. They've been trying to... Purchase veterans for depth and acquire talent to develop into, you know, starting roles and really worrying about that. And they're always going to, to, in the first three rounds, be looking for starters, right, of the draft.
1: A Dory Jackson, you know, playing in the slot to me is as much of a, you know, let's prepare for the future as much as it is a present thing.
0: It could be, yeah. I mean... Mm -hmm. Trey Hawkins has passed just about every test he's been given and by pass tests I don't mean that he's won every rep I mean he's made it out alive Um, and he had another really good practice I think he had a pick in practice today of Daniel Jones which is pretty impressive Daniel Jones has not thrown a lot of interceptions in camp Um, as long as Trey Hawkins continues to pass tests he's going to be given new ones which means playing time eventually that's what it's going to mean and if he continues to pass tests they're You know, they're just going to have to weigh that when it comes to Dory Jackson time.
1: And they're going to be a very significant test because they are going to target him. You know, if Dory's going to be in the slot, you know, they're going to... He's going to be... They're going to pick on him. And they're going to challenge him.
0: So would you say after two preseason games, week one playing Dallas, is Trey Hawkins a starter? Or whatever. Is he getting significant playing time due to the wide receiver set that they have?
1: I... I think they are grooming him to start on week one. I,
0: really I, I think do. I agree with you. I think yeah. I think that's a great time to put Adoree Jackson up on Ceedee Lamb mm-hmm. and let Trey Hawkins and Deontay Banks worry about the lessers. I,
1: I think I think this is going to be kind of a matchup thing from week to week anyway. Who's going to be bouncing inside and outside? But I think uh, I think they're To answer your question, I think more in the spirit of what you're asking for, I think they have enough confidence in him that he could be part of that three man rotation as a starter.
0: Yeah, which is essentially what I'm hinting at.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, that's incredible.
1: Did, did any of us think that, you know, draft day?
0: No, well, so draft day, I was, I was in Manhattan for all three days at the Talking Giants live draft, right? Um, in my last minute things, the first day of the draft, I finished up. Only the prospects that I hadn't watched already that had private visits with the Giants. Just because that's sort of been the MO um, with this coaching staff is signing players that they had private visits with. Trey Hawkins was on there. I I only had like two games worth of film to even watch of him because he played at Old Dominion. So I watched those two games. I had some notes on him and I thought that he was a good late round guy. I didn't really expect them to draft him. So um, no, to answer your question. Like I like I said like I only just did the research on him because he had a private visit. If they didn't, I wouldn't have even known who this person was. I would
1: say it's been the most pleasant surprise so far of training camp.
0: Yeah, I would have to say so. Who else would be the better surprise? Darren Waller maybe?
1: Uh Hyatt maybe? Cuz there were not so much There was a lot of questions about, well, does he really know what's his route tree? What can we really expect from him? And so far, he has been, you know, he's been a a highlight film in practices. He had the big catch on 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 Friday night.
0: Yeah, so I I do want to mention Jalen Hyatt's big catch. Yes, that was impressive to me. Uh, Me personally, I found that impressive. Like, so you have the broadcast angle, and the camera's panning over after the ball's released, which is an absolute lollipop mortar
1: we'll get to that
0: in a minute yeah um and the camera moves over and it's like okay there's the defender then where's the defender that's covering hyatt and then it keeps panning and then you see hyatt and It's like oh that that's supposed to be him okay mm-hmm. so like my immediate reaction was like oh jesus he really cooked this guy and then you get the you know the other camera angles and it's like wow he he really did cook that guy you had him in a backpedal he just kind of showed him the uh the post and hits the corner and throttles his speed properly you know for a guy who supposedly can't run routes that was a pretty well run route
1: he did, he did two things you know he you ran the route well and he came back to the ball because it was not a well thrown ball I mean yeah I, I, I get it he was under some duress Tart Taylor, but still he had to make an adjustment on it and those are type of adjustments maybe you don't see you know raw rookies making
0: right I agree Or or just pure speed guys mm-hmm. guys who only know one speed they can't I don't know, the hand-eye coordination, the speed, all that stuff, like, getting in position. It's not the same. So, yeah, I I thought that was a great run route. I'm excited for him. And he's been on, like... And I had tempered expectations for Jalen Hyatt. I didn't really know what he was. I was waiting to see. And he didn't really have an explosive start to camp, I wouldn't say.
1: Disappointing in the first couple, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, and... I think the reports were that he was getting frustrated. He was sitting with the threes and stuff like that. And I guess when you're with the threes, you're not really getting the throws. (laughs) Um, And it's been just a steady climb ever since. Like just better and better each day, getting more and more good news. There's Uh, a
1: difference between being wide receiver one and being like your big play wide receiver. And I think the way this this offense is going to be set up, I I said it a little while ago that – this is an offense that's going to be Saquon Barkley 1, Darren Waller 2. And then that's going to open up everything else. Everybody, everybody.
0: else is going to feed I, off of 1-2. I don't
1: expect... Um,
0: Including Daniel I, Jones's runs, by the
1: way. Exactly right. Exactly right. So I don't expect Hyde to have, you know, lead the team in receptions. I nope. don't expect him to lead the team in yards. I don't expect him to lead the team in touchdown catches but i think because of the way this offense is being built and these other weapons you know he will my prediction will he'll lead the team in yards per catch he will lead the team in explosive plays he will lead the team in longest touchdown catches because it's going to be predicated by everything that's set up for him and that's that's the sign of having a good offense and good personality to match what that offense wants to be Something I never thought we'd be saying in the last X amount of years with this Giants team too. It's a very pleasant thing to start talking about now.
0: For real. And, and if Saquon Barkley and Darren Waller are going to be one 2 that opens everybody else up, Jalen Hyatt is going to open up everything underneath. And I think – I don't really know. I, I'm going to be interested to see how they deploy personnel and stuff. I wonder what that does to coverage on Darius Slayton, another guy who, by, by the way, led the team last year. He was our leading receiver last year. So, not to be forgotten, Darius Slayton, also a speed guy, probably going to be the second thought for a defense in terms of speed, right?
1: Sure, sure. I mean, he's been in my doghouse for years, but the facts are the facts. And I think now he doesn't have to be relied on to be the guy. You know, maybe those drops don't happen as much. Or just that, you know, not making the play when needed is not going to be as critical for him. So. Getting more talent on a team puts everybody in their proper slotting where they need to be, so that's that's good.
0: Do you want to flip to defense? Anybody else on offense? Do you want to talk about Eric Gray at all or anything? I want
1: to talk about Eric Gray. Go ahead. Because it's going to be hard to keep him on the field because he, I thought he did a, a terrible job pass blocking. And I would say so. Uh, you know, that's a real life. You know, if we're still concerned a little bit about Evan Neal. We're still concerned about the guard situation on this team. John Michael Smith is still a rookie and still has to prove it on the field, you know, on a play-by-play, down-by-down, you know, series-by-series basis. This team can't afford to have a a running back out there, even if it's on a a change-of-pace series or something, to give Saquon a blow to be that bad. And I – one of my crazy predictions – might be that does he make this roster because he's that bad
0: you know it's pretty crazy I I think I think it's nuts Um, but I'd be lying to you if I wasn't sitting there like why does Eric Gray deserve a roster spot over Ja'Shawn Corbin who I have no affinity towards I don't really care about Ja'Shawn Corbin at all but if you put their film right next to each other from that game and told me to pick which running back pick played better, I would ask you if you were really wasting my time with this question. It's it's unquestionable. Um, Shashawn Corbin has looked good now for two preseason games, and he is, I don't know, is he behind Gary Brightwell even on this roster? He might be.
1: I think he is. I, I'm definitely going into these preseason games he
0: was and i wouldn't say eric gray has done anything on special teams they are literally handing him that job of punt returner kick returner they're telling uh, at least it was reported during preseason broadcast that they're telling him to return everything no matter what just to see and other than running up so the the wind apparently was really bad during this game um he did make a fair catch on a punt on the run running forward towards coverage which is pretty difficult to do um but other than that i didn't see anything i mean what did you think of his touchdown run
1: it's all right but i mean can like most running backs do that
0: <laughs> i was gonna say that that looked to me like one of Josh Azudu's best blocks of the night
1: yeah i, I it yeah. looked like
0: you know if you freeze frame that the moment eric gray gets the ball it's like okay, most NFL running backs would get you at least seven yards on this play. And that's not shitting on Eric Gray at all. It's just I I don't know how much to weight that touchdown and his effort to push the extra two yards to the goal line is cool and noteworthy, but doesn't make up for five missed blocks, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it, it depends on the situation. Like I said, if we had a much more stable offensive line and that wasn't a concern, I'd look at it a little differently. But, sure, you know... I don't know, just a little little nervous horn right now.
0: So if I had one sticking point with this front office or Brian Dable or whatever, just when it came to us that Joe Shane and Brian Dable were leaving the Bills, they were joining the Giants, the one thing I would say that seemed weird is their version of evaluation of running backs. And I say that because... They, they took like three running backs in the first four rounds of the draft in like four years. Some of them I did not think were very good. Like Zach Moss from Utah. Um, they drafted, I want to say, in like the second round or third round or something. I didn't see it with him at all, and he flamed out. So I don't know, man. This is now the first running back that they drafted. Not looking so hot right now.
1: But
0: are we also you know, I mean, give, it's,
1: giving up on it a little early? I'm too. not giving I mean, up yeah.
0: anything. I'm saying yeah. if there was one thing about this regime that I was like, that's an interesting, weird, bad thing that they're not – they don't seem to be very good at evaluating running backs. That was like the – my takeaway is like I just don't agree with their analysis of running backs. I, I don't agree with it. I wouldn't pick any of those guys at those points or whatever. Devin Singletary now is standing. Um and then they go ahead and they pick this guy who I, I didn't have a whole lot of pre work on but when I did look at him I could see what they were looking at whatever but I mean these are also the experts I did my post analysis so like they had already drafted him and I was watching him I wasn't like I didn't fit Eric Gray into my 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 roster my my draft sheet so I don't know I'm key I don't know I'm interested to see how Eric Gray pans out when it comes to, so I can add that into that bank of knowledge I have. Their past running back decisions.
1: But again, though, no, you know, we are we're picking on something that is kind of a secondary trait. It's a very, very important trait that they have to have, but, you know
0: Well I don't even think he ran that
1: well. Yeah. Well
0: What did he what has he done well that's like, oh okay That's true. Yeah. yeah. That's that's kinda where I'm at. And there's college things that I like from him. I don't it's not like I don't see it with him, but this this could have been a whiff. I mean, I know it's very early to say that, but...
1: There's... The, the blocking is, is a concern level for me, for sure. Yeah. Definitely.
0: Did you want to flip to defense? Let's flip to defense. All right, so I want to talk immediately about Dexter Lawrence. He had a neutral zone infraction, uh, which is, I think, was just him very excited to hit people. Um, <laughs> great QB pressure. He had a really good swim move for another pressure. I... I know that this is the Giants and I'm going to be more partial to them always but the roughing the passer penalty I I mean we've entered the point where two-hand touch is now a 15 yard penalty. I mean really, incidental contact to the head is w- with a hand of all things, not forcible with, you know, not going for a tackle, you know, just kind of incidental hand stuff that happens you know, as you're shedding a block and heading towards a quarterback and trying to block a pass. I, I understand it's preseason and they are they may not call things the same way, but if that happens in the regular season game, this portion of the episode would be the leading part and there would be like three or four desks being flipped over while I'm doing
1: well, this. Well, first of all, if they are calling things differently in the preseason than they are in the regular season, that's a problem. Because, you know... I agree.
0: It's preseason for everybody.
1: Traditionally, you know, you you try out new things in preseason, and you may call things a little harder than you know. But still, the league is always a pendulum, and all sports are a pendulum. They, They they you know, they feel the rules are quarterback is in danger too much. So they put in rules and they enforce rules and it goes too far this way and then it swings back. I I think we're really getting to that point where we have swung as far to the right as we can. And you know the the players association has a say in rules. And you know we're trying to protect quarterbacks at all costs, but there are also you know twenty one other players on the field at the same time. And if there's an you know you can't do your job because of the rules are so skewed there's going to be problems you know if you can't tackle the way you know how to tackle or you're giving a quarterback a competitive advantage because you can't touch him that just makes it easier for him to do his job at the expense of others so i really think we are coming close to a tipping point with this that you know we're all for protecting everybody and the health of, of these players because You know, obviously, we don't want these guys getting hurt. We don't, we want the best possible product on the field as long as we can. But, you know, the game is impacted on the field. You know, this, at the end of the day, this game is about running, throwing, catching, blocking, and tackling. And if you can't tackle anymore, it's a different game. So I I think, you know, it'd probably be something like, a, a, a call that changes the outcome of a playoff game or decides who makes the playoffs or a Super Bowl. But we're about at that tipping point where it's going to start swinging back the other way.
0: I think that at a certain point, we have to stop treating quarterbacks like they are stupid or they are so fragile that um, the idea... I think we all know a bad hit when we see one. But too often, I'm seeing now quarterbacks running, becoming runners, and doing this thing where they start running as guys are coming at them, like, sideways, like they're about to slide, but they're still running full speed, like, or running towards the sideline, and then suddenly they just jet up the side of the sideline as they see defenders are letting up because they know they can't hit them. I mean, quarterbacks are not stupid. They understand how to work this rule to their own favor. Um, Well,
1: that's... There's also a rule called unsportsmanlike conduct, which if you try to do that, a referee has every right to throw a flag on him.
0: I would say Tyrod Taylor did it in this game. I would say Tyrod Taylor was at one point running forward, two defenders were coming at him, and he started running kind of on the sides of his feet, but still hadn't slid yet. And it leaves a defender who is running at full speed, also trying to keep his job. Let's just keep that in the back of our minds. Exactly. To make a decision on whether or not he's going to hit this person. And the wrong decision, whether it's to hit him or to let up and let him continue to move, might cost him his job. And I just think yeah. it's—we've entered this realm of silliness. Like, we don't—suddenly, everything is very black and white, and we can't tell the difference. There used to be two different penalties for face mask and you know and that, that was a bad idea i'm not saying that that's a good idea but it at least hints at the idea that we have brains and we're able to tell the difference between touching somebody on the head and forcible conduct contact right at somebody's face you know and if you follow me on
1: twitter or you know me at all you know i am a very black and white person you know i believe in you know it's rules are rules rules are to be enforced there's no well almost no that's why I'm always in favor of instant replay to determine inbounds, out-of-bounds, fair ball, foul ball. But know.
0: those are black and white things.
1: Exactly. But in this instance where something like that – you know, I, I try to take the subjectivity as much as I can out of officiating. But this is, this is definitely judgment, and officials are smart enough to have a judgment to know if somebody intent – you know if i'm if I am hitting somebody and I graze the the you know the back of the helmet and it's purely not intent, that's not a penalty because you cannot prevent guys from hitting helmets
0: just because of the arm angle and and the speed of the game It is so a game a about hitting yes <laughs> it yeah. is a game about hitting there is no player that you can't hit. There are instances we are not allowed to hit certain players, but we have now made it like it's a big muddy thing and we can't tell when that is we know when that is and we know what bad hits are it's very silly for us to act like we don't know there are judgment calls in terms of you know defenseless players
1: holding is considered as a judgment call if you think about it sure I i mean there is judgment and i think those are the types of things of judgment that that should be you should give officials the license to use their judgment because officials know the rules more than any player who's playing. They know the rules more than any coach's coaching. And they're on the field, they see it, and they have the ability with instant replay to get it right if it was wrong. So, you know, and the same thing with the other side, too. Like, you're talking about the Tyra Taylor play, where you're faking that you're going down and going, you should be penalized just as much for, you know, taking advantage of this this situation, too.
0: I know it's just a preseason game, and I uh, my, I had a lot of con- trouble containing my rage from that moment because that was very ridiculous call, and I knew that the ultimate thing that kept me from actually flipping out is I knowing that this game doesn't matter, none of this matters. Right. But if it did, I don't know when my anger stops with something like that. I think any time I see that called, no matter who's playing, it's gonna enrage me. Uh, You know, whatever. So, I I just wanted to mention that because we saw something similar the week before with Baldonado very late in the game. Similar situation where it was, like, contact up around the head that was, like, I don't want to say incidental, but, like, clearly was not the intent of taking the head off of quarterback. It's just sort of the nature of what happens when you have two guys grappling, you know, right in front of a quarterback. It's just what happens. Um so this is now two weeks in a row I've seen it happen. I'm getting frustrated. If I see it happen in a regular game, God help you if, if it's everybody. at MetLife Stadium because I might be kicked out. I just You know, whatever. <laughs> um, that was what I had on Dexter Lawrence. I thought Dexter Lawrence looked like a force. He looked scary. And I think in practice today, Leonard Williams looked like an animal. Uh, that's really good to hear.
1: You know, everybody's so quick to want to get rid of Leonard Williams because of the contract, but those two together – that's a, that's a dynamic duo that you know you're going to see during this season, and hopefully as we're building a little more depth, that they don't have to play every snap, and they can get a blow or two, and be more effective throughout each game and throughout the whole season.
0: Gun to your head, is Leonard Williams re-signed with the Giants next year? Yes, I think so too. I think it they may I... not
1: be. He may not be paid, you know, relative to what he was last contract, but he will get paid pretty well, and there'll be more money they'll be available to do it and i think if you have a core that you're building and you know it could be something special this year you know going into year three of this defense assuming well let's put it this way do you think that changes if wink is still here or not your decision are going to keep him or not
0: i think it could yeah I don't know – I'm not giving you a hard yes or no. Like I don't think it's directly tied. But I, I mean anytime you bring in a guy with a different system or a different outlook, there's a chance that anybody could go, you know?
1: Right. So. But I think, uh, I think in this system with this coach, I think if Wink is back for year three, I definitely think he'll be back.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah. He knows how to use him. He understands him. And I think we've been I think we've been working
1: the, the cap to have the opportunity to keep our best players too. It's this is not your father's giants where every time we had a good defensive tackle, you know, well, it's time, time to say bye bye. We can't afford it.
0: Um Kayvon Thibodeau had a sack in this game. Any thoughts, comments, concerns?
1: I think he'll be just fine. Yeah. I think people I think people think that he should have been Lawrence Taylor on week one. And uh, because partly because of where he was drafted, part because of his personality, part because of his tape in college, Um, you know, the NFL is a lot different than college. And I think he just has to, he has to just keep playing. And, you know, I think we're going to see big strides from him. I think having a better all around defense around him will make him better. You know, having, you know, more of a pass rush. I think this defense is going to be a little more exotic than it was last year. I think he'll be just fine.
0: Um, I agree with you. So, I could have told you. I think I might have said it on this show. I said it somewhere. God, I'm old. Um, Tell me about it. I I wouldn't be shocked if Kayvon Thibodeau's career numbers look a lot like JPP numbers, where mm-hmm. it's it's you know middle of the road sacks, you know somewhere between like five and. Nine most years, and then like you'll have a random year that's like sixteen or fifteen or something like that that might have to do with a system or a schedule or just you know him hitting a groove or whatever it is. But so like Jordan Ronan put out like a sack, I guess predictions for the year, and it was like Azizo Jolari was like seven and a half, and I think Kayvon was like six or six and a half or something like that, and. Every comment underneath it was like they were calling on a bust, etc. etc. When you look at this wink defense, I don't see the majority of our sacks coming from the edge rushers. I think they're going to be spread out. I think more than one or two players having a lot of sacks will have multiple, like a lot of players with very few sacks one or two, but there will be Jason Pinnock and you know, who's coming up, the Cordell Flot, Nick McLeod. Xavier McKinney Leonard Williams Dexter Lawrence I think they're going to be spread out all over the place because of the nature of this defense Bobby Okereke I mean they're going to be all kinds of different guys I don't think it's going to be the two edge rushers getting 14 sacks apiece right or am I wrong
1: first first of all if you can guarantee me JPP's career without the firecrackers I'll sign up for it right now
0: whenever I said wherever I was when I said it I said that that would be his like ceiling he wasn't going to be a Lawrence Taylor was what I was saying Nobody
1: much. ever was. Good Nobody point. Nobody will be Lawrence Taylor again. Uh, and second of all, I don't think the sack is the end-all, be-all determination of how good someone like him can be. Thank you. I need, I need somebody who's constantly going to be a disruption. Somebody who you have to constantly game plan for. Someone you have to account for in every single play. Where is he? And you know. Because we have other guys, we have Aziz on the other side. We have we have a Dexter Lawrence and a Larry Williams, you know, on on the offensive line. The whole reason we have Wink Martindale is, you know, controlled chaos, you know, heavy blitzing, you know, causing the quarterback to, you know, stay up at night on Thursday, being scared about what's happening on Sunday. So I don't need the big big sack number from him. I need him to be a constant disruption. I need him to, you know, be somebody that I don't need one guy to have gaudy numbers and the rest of the defense sucking. I need him to be part of a unit that it can come from anywhere at any time, and I think that's what we're on the road to.
0: Um, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I think that pressures often indicate more things than sacks. Uh, I think actually pressures are probably the best because pressures lead to incomplete passes, short arm throws, um, bad decisions, interceptions. Checking down. You know. sacks, sacks are great because it's it's like a – it's a negative play and it usually results in a punt at a certain point. Um, but pressures could lead to any number of things.
1: It could lead to holding, which would be 10 yards. It could mm-hmm. – a lot of things that could happen.
0: Yeah. And, and consistent pressures lead to, like, gameplay changes. Like, where sure. it's like, well, you know what? This plan isn't going to work because we apparently can't block him. So people come out at halftime. They have to completely change the way they expected to play the game. That is a huge win. And that doesn't yeah. happen because a guy gets two sacks in a game. That happens because a guy gets six pressures.
1: He hasn't even played a full season's worth That's of games yet. In the also NFL. true.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have no worries about him. I think so far he looks like the player I expected him to be, his draft status notwithstanding.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's it's all good.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jordan Riley, on the other hand, looks very amazing for a seventh-round draft pick. On fourth and one, completely bullied the center backwards, which I believe is their starting center, uh, completely disengaged and swallowed the running back hole. That was like a Damon Harrison play from a seventh-round rookie, albeit and, I think he's like 25 years old. But
1: And that's what I was saying before, is that if this guy can be a legitimate part of your rotation, you can give Leonard Williams a blow sure. on a play or two and that'll make it more effective because these guys wear down and they become less effective and they get hurt when they're on the field every play.
0: Because I remember...
1: You just, you just don't trust the guy behind you.
0: Leonard Williams last year was walking from practice to, like, either the clubhouse or out to his car or whatever the hell it was. And I want to say it was Dan Duggan. One of the reporters, like, asked him, like, ah, oh, how's the arm or whatever? Because he had, like, a bum arm, like, all... He's like, you feeling any better? And he was like, no. <laughs> he was hurt, like, all year last year and played, that like, 95% of snaps. So, Jordan Riley, Raheem Nunez-Roaches... Sean Robinson, those guys are going to do more for this team than any of their stats will ever indicate, right? Like, they get, they get like a 25% bonus just for any amount of stats that Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams get.
1: Yeah, sure. And we haven't seen them yet at all. I mean, they're...
0: Just you know, Jordan they're, Riley, they're,
1: yeah. Yeah, they've been banged up the other two guys. They'll be back, but, you know... They will play a very, very important part for spelling these guys, and that's going to be critical.
0: Especially down the stretch. We'll see. Hopefully we'll see dominant Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence in weeks 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, in January. That's right. That was kind of the game. That was sort of the week this week in practice today. Um, what are your expectations for Daniel Jones this year? What do you think of him?
1: Daniel Jones is going to take another step up. Um, I I think that this is the first time in his career with this team that there's stability. And it's not learning something new. It's not introducing yourself to, you know, or or wondering who my number one guy is going to be. And that number one guy is not a number one guy. He now has a number one guy in, in Waller. He has... You know, he has a better offensive line. I think. I think he takes. I think he's going to take the biggest step in his career from one year to the next this this uh, this season, and it's going to be kind of quiet too. I think all the spotlight's going to be on you know Saquon Barkley. You know, Waller's going to make you know. You know, he just looks physically imposing high it might make the highlight plays, things like that. And I think Daniel Jones is just gonna do his thing. And I think you're gonna look and you're gonna see in the box score, you're gonna see you know, high completion percentage, high efficiency ratings. Um, I think this is gonna be the first year you're gonna stop every time there's an interception, you know, talking about every single turnover he's had in his life. I think that I think that narrative is gonna go away. i I look at him as, the captain of this offense now and that's the first time you can say that
0: yeah it's like if there was a current giants mount rushmore he's kind of like the fourth head behind like joe shane brian dable mike kafka be daniel jones um
1: oh sure absolutely i mean he's part of that the brain trust i mean he's gonna have to you know he's gonna have more control of the offense i think they're probably gonna give him more freedom to you know audible out of place and stuff because he he knows this offense now it's his year two and you know two full off seasons two low TAs two you know a a full season this is his time and quite frankly it kind of needs to be his time Uh, you know you're you're going into year five you know it's not quarterbacks you can't wait forever to say what is this quarterback going to be I mean there is still room for growth but that learning curve is going to end pretty soon so, you know, I expect a jump, you know, but I think we're going to know pretty soon in the next year or so, what kind of quarterback is Daniel Jones, you know, is he going to make that jump and all of a sudden be one of the elite quarterbacks in this league, or is this going to be a very good quarterback in this league? I mean, you know, we said we'd sign up before if, um, if, if um, Dex, uh, K. Ron Thibodeau could be JPP. Well, would you sign up right now if he becomes Phil Simms? Oh,
0: hell yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so it's kind of amazing to think that he would be considered the fourth head on Mount Rushmore, right? Considering that at the beginning of last year, they were just not able to pick up his fifth year option. I mean, how could you pick up his fifth year option? You don't know anything about him, whatever. I mean, this is a guy who has been booed since the moment he was selected. Um, and now we're talking about him being the fourth head. And I think I agree with your assessment. I think that there will be less reliance on Daniel Jones having to run. Uh, There are going to be so many guys wide open. His numbers are going to be through the roof, but I think we're going to continue to see what we already saw from this weekend from miserable people like Mina Kimes who are unable to give Daniel Jones any credit whatsoever. We'll hear a lot of Brian Dable and Mike Kafka are really good kind of comments, but that's going to be a direct result of Daniel Jones's work. Um, sure, the offense is going to help. the added pieces obviously help, but Jones is going to be able to very casually and very easily, just like he looked in this preseason game, uh find guys who were wide open, wide open.
1: Um, you know it's really strange Grump that he just signed a contract four years 160 million dollars, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't get any sense of the narrative off season that the pressure is on him. I feel almost kind of the opposite. Like, the pressure is off him at this point.
0: I would say this is probably the least pressure he... I I would say the pressure's on him in the sense that if he can't perform with added weapons, that's a bad thing. But, to your point, this feels like the least amount of pressure that's ever been on him.
1: Yeah, that would be the result of him not playing well. (laughs) The pressure would then come on him, but I don't get the sense of like, you know you have to fulfill this contract. You have to, you know... I don't get the sense of that at all, and I, I almost feel a little bit like the that was the biggest story in the second half of last year, and, and as soon as that playoff game was over, is, are they going to sign Daniel Jones? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? And right after they signed that contract, it was no longer a thought.
0: No, it just immediately shifted to the Barkley thing.
1: It went to the Barkley thing, but it's just kind of like... You know he's just signed and he's just here now and i think that's a good thing i mean the worst thing you do is have all this added pressure on you it's, it's enough pressure to be the quarterback of an nfl team there's a lot of pressure to be the quarterback in this town having extra pressure after contracts and expectations and all this you know and i think that's part of because the narrative of this team around the league is this team isn't that good and Last year might have been a bit of a fluke. I don't get the sense at all that the national perspective from media, other fans, whoever is, the Giants are on the verge of potential greatness in a year or two. It's, you know, take the under for wins. The wins number isn't that high. You know, they are definitely behind Philly and Dallas. And I think that's, gonna help Daniel Jones that's less pressure that's being put on him I mean that perception that national media that that narrative it's there and it's actually a good thing I think let them go under the radar do their thing don't let every incomplete pass be a uh, an indictment on Daniel Jones was he worth the contract or not just play and see what happens.
0: Yeah, I think that even if the national media's ass- uh, assessment of the Giants is that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka are brilliant and that Daniel Jones is the lucky participant in that, even if that, th- they're going to be wrong. Uh, I Dan Schneier pointed out something that I've been talking about for probably like the last two years now is the small improvements that nobody talks about Daniel Jones. And the biggest one is by far his pocket movement, and and Dan Schneier did a really good job of clipping um, a play from the game on Friday where he kind of stepped up away from tackle pressure, and then out to his right, like and just very methodically at the, at the top of his drop, moved back up, moved back out, found his escape route, continued looking downfield, etc. You know. He that was, I would say, the biggest problem he had coming into the league. And he's already improved on that. He's cut down on his interceptions. He's cut down on all turnovers. He's seriously cut down on fumbling when getting hit. I mean, that was like, do you feel the same way now? Like every time Daniel Jones has someone barreling down on him that he's going to drop the ball? Because I don't feel that way anymore.
1: I haven't felt that for a couple of years, actually. Right.
0: Uh, very so, honestly. my My DJ expectations, you know, everyone else can screw off. I've watched this kid grow in all the areas I needed to see him grow. And just because everybody else couldn't see that he had good deep ball accuracy is not my problem. My expectations for DJ were, they I think they always were for him at this point. And I thought that he could get to this point eventually. Um,
1: I mean, it's, so very I feel good. Hard, it's very hard to be a really good quarterback in this league when you have bad play calling, a bad offensive line, bad receivers and a franchise running back who's hurt and not playing for you.
0: Yeah, and I would say a completely flawed front office.
1: Yeah, and you know something? There's one guy who doesn't think that he is just the recipient of really good coaching. That's his general manager who gave him $40 million. Sure. if If he thought that, well, this offense can be good with anybody, they would have kicked him to the curb. They would have gone dumpster diving and gotten a Baker Mayfield. Or, you Derek know... Derek Carr, somebody. Or, exactly. Who that's like, just give me somebody at a, a fraction what the cost will be and we, we can mold you into something great. They spent the money on a, on a guy because of the talent that he has and the potential that he still has. So, you know, yes, you need to have... Good coaching is very important in this league. It's that, that little extra difference between two teams. It's, you know game preparation, play calling, all of that. But at the end of the day, it's played on the field.
0: We are coming up on an hour, so we're going to close out this episode with team expectations this year. So you were telling me that ESPN did like a ceiling and floor for every team.
1: They do not have it
0: open. That's no, okay. You okay. told me so you had yeah. the, the the ceiling for the Giants was 11 and 6. The floor was six and eleven, and you were telling me that they were depending a lot of it on Darren Waller's health, right?
1: Yes, that's correct. Okay,
0: here's why I think that that is both sort of the correct numbers, but a horseshit reason. Look, this offense, this team, they didn't have a Darren Waller last year, and they eked out nine wins in a shitty tie. So that those pretty much 10 wins that were in their grasp last year without a Darren Waller, without all these things that they got this offseason, without Daniel Jones having any confidence in him, with them shuffling the roster for the first five weeks, trading Kadarius Tony halfway through the year, they got nine wins anyway. And I know that not everything is created equal, but Darren Waller's health is not going to be the determining factor. If Darren Waller gets hurt and can't play, they already have an entire playbook of shit that fucking works without Darren Waller plus Jalen Hyatt, Paris Campbell. They have all these other things, and a healthy Sterling Shepard. They have all these other things at their disposal if Darren Wall gets hurt. If Daniel Jones gets hurt, then you'll see the 6-11 and 11 drop. That's where I'm at. I And and we did our pens and pencils, and you and I both landed at 11-6 for whatever our ridiculous reasons were on a week-to-week basis. That's where we landed. So 11-6 is not outlandish to me. Then I got put on the spot on Friday, I joined Bobby for Talking Giants before the game, and he asked me my record prediction. What do I have to go off of other than our pens and pencils? So I said 11 and 6. We just did this exercise. I don't think 11 and 6 is ridiculous, but I do think that Darren Waller's health, I don't think is going to be the five-game swing that ESPN thinks it is. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think?
1: <laughs> I, I, I completely agree. First of all, I would put Dalen well, I put him behind Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, those guys, if they went down and swing the record on one guy being gone. Um, I think a lot of people are so quick to jump on the well, this schedule is so hard. You know, and the first thing they'll say is, Well, they played two against Philly, two against Dallas, the beginning part on the road. And I keep harking to this. We said it I think last week and the week before. Those two Philly games could be absolutely meaningless. They are at the end of the season. Philly may have already clinched a division, or we have already clinched the playoff spots with ESR in part, so, you know, that schedule potentially is not usually as scary as it is just because of position. If you want to assume losses in the beginning of the year because we're on the road, you know, you can't assume losses at the end because of where those those Philly games are. Um, everybody, almost every national pundit has us at a worse record than last year. But I want those same pundits to tell me where they think this team is worse than they were last year. To me, I look at wide receivers, better. Tight end, better. Offensive line better quarterback better you know with more experience and more grasp of this offense um defense you know to be determined still but the point is they think that everything's going to be a drop-off and i are well, last year was a how, fluke
0: well, wait, hang on to be determined on all of this, but where on defense did they not get better? Defensive line, definitely better. Linebacker, sure. definitely better. That's corner, sure. I would better. say, you know, they, they're moving that's, on that's from Fabian team. Moreau, who was, I don't want to say like, well, it, it, it just like a vet. And now you have two very promising rookies. That one's to be determined. That's anything. But I, I guess, but I have more expectations for a first round pick than I do a veteran that was signed after cut down day. Any day oh, of the
1: week. I, I'm not saying I, the the upside and everything is certainly potentially better, but again, I, I have to see it on the field. Sure. That's. But again, we're we're I'm picking this a little bit with with that also. But my my bigger point is, almost everything on this team is an improvement over last year. Yeah. And you're going to tell me just because the schedule is why this team is going to be not worse, significantly worse? Not buying it. This yeah. is too close for that.
0: I agree. And this Friday morning, we will have another episode for you with our 53 man roster prediction. That will be ahead of the Jets game, which neither of us are watching live because we'll be at a wedding.
1: Congratulations, Emily. Our cousin is getting married.
0: Yes. We'll be there. So we'll be together, we'll be drunk, and we won't be watching football. That'll be one of the rare <laughs> occasions.
1: It's gonna be pretty. Uh, it's interesting because we'll be at a family wedding where there are Jet fans, that's true, as well as Giant fans being there. It'll, you know, Aaron Rodgers' first game. You know, all that nonsense, and you know, who cares anything about it? But uh, nope, we will not be watching live. We will be celebrating our our wonderful cousin's wedding. Which and I'm not saying that sarcasm at all. We are really no. happy for that.
0: Yeah. So, so that episode is going to come out ahead of time. Uh, the the roster projections, and then we will have. Cut down Monday, where we'll we normally record on Mondays. So, Tuesday morning after that will be probably a very tired grump. Uh, I'm predicting that I will be trying my best to catch up on all the day's news and stuff ahead of the episode so we can record. Um, and that will be there Tuesday morning. But this Friday morning will be our next episode. So, be sure to subscribe on Twitter at Just Giants Pod, YouTube. For Just Giants podcast and all your normal audio podcasts and iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, etc. Um, and give us a shout to any of your friends. It's, it's that it's water cooler season right now. Oh. It is it is water cooler season in full swing? I know because I've had the same. It's Monday. I had like seven Giants conversations with all ten people that show up to my office today. <laughs> so this is the time for you to tell them. Listen. I watched this underrated podcast on YouTube, Just Giants Podcast. It's you should check it out.
1: This it was underwatched podcast, so we got to change that. So, all you guys out there, everybody, tell a friend and tell them to tell a friend. Subscribe, you know, like us, follow us, you know, retweet us, re X us, whatever, whatever you want to do. I'm not doing the the X Twitter joke anymore. It's that's over. But we really appreciate all your help, and you know, we want to make this show. You know, we want to get to as many Giant fans as we can. So the more we, you know, interact and the more friends we make, the the better conversations we have, and it makes us smarter too, because we have a pretty smart audience out there. So you know where we are, tell a friend about us.
0: And with that, we will see you all Friday morning. Until then, go Giants. Go
1: Giants.